Hey everyone, welcome to season 14 of the Nonprofit Ace Podcast. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I know that I've been out of pocket. Life, be life in. So this season is going to be a combo. So we've got an interview for you, so I'm really excited about, as well as some replays because it's 990 season, everyone. And because I've been a little MIA, I wanted to give you all a giveaway. What you have is going to be when you hear the episode for Rebecca Rodriguez. I love talking to her. I've got a couple of things. She has an amazing book that I want you to check out. So if you are saying like, hey, I'm a nonprofit or I'm thinking about starting a nonprofit, this book is for you. And what I want you all to do is be sure to follow us on Instagram, subscribe to the podcast. Once you're subscribed, check out the episodes, download your favorite and tag Synergy in a post on Instagram telling us your favorite takeaway from that episode. We're going to run this for two weeks. And at the end, we will give away five copies of Rebecca's book to people who have tagged us again with your favorite takeaway from one of our episodes. So excited to get you all a copy of this book and to see what you've learned. All right. Thanks so much for subscribing to Synergy's Nonprofit Ace podcast. Any accounting, business, or tax advice in this podcast is not intended as a thorough, in-depth analysis of your specific issues. It's not a substitute for a formal opinion. It is not good enough to avoid tax-related penalties. Got to tell you this because don't want y'all coming for me. What is the IRS 990? It is an, an informational return telling the IRS what your organization is doing. It allows for standardization across nonprofits. In general, the IRS 990 is due five months and 15 days after the year end. So if you have a December 31 year end, that means your return is going to be due May 15. You can definitely file an extension. It will be a six-month extension, meaning that if you were initially going to be due on May 15, you are now due on November 15. So when people say 990, I realize that it can be very vague and they're not really sure what they mean. For example, I was talking to an organization and they asked me, well, have you filed your 990? And they found out a grant and they said yes. But what they really meant was they filled out the 990N. So the 990N is a postcard. It is the simplest of all types of 990s. It is for organizations that typically bring in less than $50,000 and you can only file it online. The reason why this return exists is because sometimes your organization is small, there's not too much happening, and you just want to be able to say, yes, we still exist. (laughs) We are doing what we said we were going to do and move on. When grantors are asking for a copy of your 90 or asking if you filed a 990, though, they're typically talking about a 990EZ or a regular 990. So a 990EZ is for those organizations who have $200,000 less of revenue and 500000 or less of assets, so buildings, cash, all that good stuff. And those are the forms that really give you that informational standardization that I mentioned. It is going to be what sets you apart. The postcard doesn't really say anything other than I exist. Where you're doing a 990EZ, you're saying, hey, this is what we did during the year. These are some highlights. That's one of the reasons I love might be strong. That's one of the reasons I appreciate the 990 is that it allows nonprofits to highlight 
and shine a light on the things that they've done. What are some of their major accomplishments? It's not just about we brought in some money. It's about putting some qualitative information out into the public. And then there's the 990. So the 990 is for those who have more than 200,000 of income. They have more than 500,000 of assets. This return is also available to be filed via paper or electronically. And I would always recommend <laughs> filing electronically. That makes it easier in the process. Um, your software could help you um, catch some of the things that you might be doing as you submit. Really, no one really wants to do paper. Like, <laughs> let's just be honest. Um, unless you like typing up on a PDF, I would definitely recommend using electronic forms. The other common form is the 990T. So the 990T is a taxable return. It's about what's your taxable income. So if you are saying, hey, we exist to provide healthy foods to the community and you also sell t-shirts, the t-shirts may fall into that non-exempt purpose because you don't exist to clothe the community, you exist to feed the community. And selling these other shirts that they could get somewhere else doesn't tie into your exact purpose. That does happen quite a lot, but if it's worth it for your organization for that revenue part, you just have to be willing to pay the tax. A little bit more about the form. It is available to the public for three years after filing. Remember, as a nonprofit, you have a high degree of transparency. And so your information needs to be available. And that includes amendments. So an amendment being, hey, I need to fix this thing. You need to make sure that that is also available. How will people get to see your forms? Well, you can say, hey, I have it online. Or you can tell people that you could, they can put in a request or they can come to your site and see it. Notes for if they come to your site, if they come to your site, they can take notes, they can make photocopies, and they can also request a copy of your Form 990 directly from the IRS. They don't actually have to ask you, they could go right there. A third place that people can go to get a copy of your 990 is to GuideStar. GuideStar.org is a database where nonprofits can upload their information. You don't have to provide it, GuideStar can get it from the IRS as well. Remember, Anyone can request it from the IRS. Do note, though, that GuideStar doesn't count as you making your form available. So you need to make your form available. Those ways are online by request or on-site. IRS 990PF. This is for private foundations. What is a private foundation? A private foundation is, by designation, it's a nonprofit. But they don't get a lot of public support. They're getting more of their support from people within the family, from people who are like, oh, the five of us are just going to keep this running. And so they are going to be classified as a private foundation. So I wanted to be sure we got those different types. Um, for the most part, though, when I'm saying IRS 990, I'm referring to the 990EZ or the full 990. Some organizations choose to file a 990 even when they don't have to. The 990 is a long form. The 990EZ is a little bit shorter, and the 990N is just the postcard. There are organizations who can do a 990N, or they can do a 990EZ, and they choose to file a longer form, or they can do a 990N, and they choose to file an EZ. Well, why would you do that? Well, the reasons you want to do that is because you want to have a level of transparency. Remember, the purpose of this form is for informational purposes and standardization. So being able to complete the form adds that level of transparency, especially if you're applying for grants, 
you want to be able to say, yes, we did file it and we filed the full form. So they look it up and they see it and it doesn't seem like, well, what are you talking about? You might also want to file a 990 full form if your state has its own filing requirements, like Virginia has its own tax form and it takes the information from your 990. So by doing a full form, you can better reply to their responses on the state form. Another reason is for your organization's history. The full 990 has comparative history. And so you can see, oh, compared to last year, this is how the organization is doing. Then you want to think about consistency in your returns. So if you are filing a 990, you're going to end up filing the same form over and over and over again each year. But what happens is if you start off with an EZ, when you move to the 990, unless you're doing it manually, you're going to lose some information. So you lose that comparison. If you're automatically filing the 990, though, you get to keep that comparison information. The 990T has a statute of limitations. So if you are telling the IRS every year, hey, this is the things we're doing, you're fully disclosing what activities you're taking part of. If you don't file, the IRS can always say, well, you did file. We're now going to start penalizing you. We're going to get our money and some fees. But if you did this close, that, hey, we're also doing these other things. Again, it's for transparency, information. If you say we've been doing this and they don't say, oh, that's actually should be taxed, the IRS is less likely, not that they won't, but they're less likely to go back and retroactively charge you for anything that they say, oh, that's not technically within your business purpose. One thing to note, though, when we're thinking about filing a full 990 is if you're doing it electronically, you may have to work with your system to force it to give you a 990 because some organizations will say, hey, you actually only need to do an easy and it'll just automatically populate that way. And so you may need to look at the software instructions to say, we actually want to do a full form so we can have that comparative information. I mentioned earlier that some forms you can file electronically or paper. Let me tell you about when you're required to file electronically. You're required to file electronically if you have more than 10 million of assets. It's a lot of assets. If you are filing more than 250 returns for the year, and when they say returns, they're thinking about, oh, how many W-2s did you file? How many 1099s? How many 941s? Those are like your employment type. How many income tax returns are you going to file? How many excise tax returns are you going to file? And then when you're thinking about the number of returns, if you need to do a correction or an amendment, those don't count towards your 250 returns. So most people can file a paper return. Again, my best practice recommendation is do electronic. (laughs) Um, Your software will allow you to see when it's been submitted to the IRS and when it gets accepted. And that's a lot easier than when you do the paper one. But the paper one, you just wait until they tell you, you did it wrong. On to did it wrong, though. Some of the reasons why 990s get returned is because some of the schedules are missing. So schedules that could be missing are your Schedule A is going to be the one that talks about, hey, well, this is our charitable status and this is how much we get in public support. And that is typically where people are like, oh, we have to get at least this much in public support. Your Schedule B, which is about who gave to your organization. It's like, hey, these are our big donors. So those are the forms that you want to make sure you have. 
I know this episode, now that I'm done it, seems a little, a lot more intense than I anticipated. And so I'm really happy that I decided to break it up. Our next episodes are going to be broken up in based off of those foundation blocks that I mentioned, mission, priorities, tools, and storytelling, and how the 990 fits into those pieces. So make it a little bit more digestible. But for those of you who just wanted a high level type deal, hey, this was the episode for you. So please be sure to join me next week when we go through how does the 990 play into your mission? Super excited for this season. And of course, if you have any questions about the podcast or about the topic in general, send me a message on whatever social media you use. We are on Instagram, Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. So you can find um, Synergy Accounting Advisory, all those places on LinkedIn. It's my name, Kyla Graham, CPA. All right. Hope you guys have a great day. Bye.